This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. So if you've got some holiday cash lying around and you're looking for something to spend it on, like on yourself, I got to say, I can't think of a better place to put it than the Big Change Program. But of course, I am completely biased. Bigchangeprogram.com is where you can find out about making 2017 your best year ever in terms of health, happiness, control over your life, getting rid of the toxic things that no longer serve you or maybe never served you, getting to your ideal weight, and getting off all those meds. The uh, 30-plus folks who have joined us, me and Josh, on the last Big Change program, which is still going strong, we have half a year to go, have seen some remarkable remarkable changes and growth in their lives in ways they could not have predicted or imagined. And I've never felt so good or confident or happy or honored about anything I was participating in in my life. So if you're interested, check it out, bigchangeprogram.com. And you can go there and take a test drive. There's not going to be that much time left. We're closing the doors on January 9th. But if you're interested, check it out. And of course, uh, full refund if you're not happy because I don't need the karma of people who are unhappy with me and want their money back, and I won't give it to them. So uh, no risk for you. The only risk is for me and Josh to say, we think we can help you. All right, on to today's episode, the final episode of the Plant Yourself podcast for 2016. My guest today is Clay Garrett, who is not famous, and he hasn't lost 300 pounds, and his story is actually very heartening to me because it's it's doable. It's accessible for just about anyone. Clay grew up in East Texas near the Arkansas border in a small town, 5,000 people. His dad was the ag teacher, constantly teaching classes on how to cook meat, how to prepare meat, how to produce meat. His sister did you know the 4-H pro- projects on raising chickens and then was aghast when she was told she had to kill him and eat him. And you know, you grow up not really questioning those things. Little kids question, of course, but when we grow up and we become mature, we just no longer question kind of the way things are. And it was Clay's digestive problems that led him to cast about for different ways of eating. And in our conversation, we talk about the costs of the standard American diet on Clay and on his family, what he did, the little steps that he took that could just as easily, like we all know, hundreds of people who are miserable in their lives and we can attribute it to food and they don't want to hear it and they don't change and they suffer and they go to the doctors and they get pills and they get progressively worse. So I'd like us to listen in Clay's story for like the little, the molecules of space where he had options, where he had choice, where he had openness and how one little thing led to another and how Clay has become a plant-based activist, parent, and marketer. I met Clay because out of the blue, he sent me a new graphic for the Plant Yourself podcast saying that the old one wasn't very good. And man, he's right. And the new one is just beautiful. I've gotten a lot of compliments. And so just, you know, in these small ways, we can all put ourselves forward to make the world a better place. And Clay's been working with Josh Lajani as well. He's been working with the Forks Over Knives to do some of their graphics. And it made me think like all of us, have these gifts, and they, we, they may seem little or inconsequential or trivial to us, but putting, if we all put them out into, there into the world, we create lots and lots of movement and lots of change. 
So without further ado, Clay Garrett, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thanks for having me, Howard. It's a pleasure. So you have not like lost 300 pounds. You haven't written books. You haven't like you're, you're sort of a a normal person who has a, a, adopted a plant-based lifestyle, which is actually quite refreshing. I, it's funny. I've actually, uh, I thought about that a lot and, uh, thinking about when people have regular people on podcasts and thought that that guy's not me. You know, I'm not, I, I, I found it hard to relate sometimes to the guys who've lost 300 pounds or, you know, were an athlete in college and, came back to, to running or something like that. I haven't done any of that. So right. I feel like I've been on the island a little bit. So, yeah. So let's, I think, I think it's kind of fun because, you know, those stories are, are fantastic and they're inspiring and, and they're instructional, but there's also, you know, the rest of us. Um, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I really enjoy speak because even, you know, even though you're, you're, you're normal, <laughs> you know, in, in, in those terms, like you're also, extremely unusual in that you have made this shift that is so important for, for your own health and, and for communities and for the planet and almost nobody else has. So, you know, you're still, you're still kind of cutting edge. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited to kind of explore like what it, what it looked like in your life. So can can begin by just, um, you know, like talk about your childhood. So like where, 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 where did you start? Well, I grew up in a, a small East Texas town near the Arkansas border, and that'd be 5,000 people. And uh, it was the usual Southern meat-eating, hunting sort of family. My my mom didn't do a lot of... Uh, my parents both worked, so my mom didn't do a lot of extraordinary cooking. It was pretty quick, pretty simple things. But there was always meat and butter at every meal. Uh-huh. So that's sort of how I, I grew up and sort of how I lived, really, until uh, till recently. All right. And, and you, you, you wrote to me that uh, it, was, it wasn't just that you were eating it, that you had sort of family mm-hmm. connections with the uh, production and processing, right? The- yes, yes. Uh, my, my dad actually was, what they uh, he was they called an ag teacher, I mean, just an agriculture teacher, and he taught all sorts of stuff around animals, horticulture, that sort of thing. But he actually taught a specific class that was only about meat, and I believe it was called the meat that we eat, and it was everything from how to what what went into producing the meat all the way up into how to cook the meat on a grill. In the, in a uh, a meat lab that they called it, so uh, that was that was pretty interesting. Uh huh. And and I'm guessing you know, so on the uh, the Texas Arkansas border, this is all very normal and natural, right? Oh yes, yes. So this was this was a pretty popular class that was sort of demanded by the public. And ag teacher is a very common thing in Texas. They have conventions. They have. Uh, stock shows where they show animals and, uh, you know, the animals, you know, impress the judges and the, the people who watch sort of bid in sort of an auction way. And then they, 
you know, you don't leave with the animals if you get all the way to the final sort of a contest. You know, somebody buys an animal from you, then they take it and slaughter it or use it for reproduction or something like that. And so all that's very common. And you, you talk about your your sister had a uh, had a had a project with chickens, right? Yes, she was actually. Since my dad was the ag teacher, she was very involved in it. I was I wasn't involved in it in high school really, but my sister in particular was really involved. And she had uh, cows and goats and chickens. And I just remember this one instance with chickens, where she probably raised fifteen chickens or so. And after the end of the the season, uh we had to slaughter the chickens and eat them. And of course, uh, my dad wanted my sister to be a part of that. And she was just horrified by it. And so, I mean, he did it himself. And then we stuck the, the chickens in the deep freezer and ate them eventually. Hmm. And it was still, even at that time, it seemed a little, a little strange. You know, my sister had clearly had a positive sort of feeling about these chickens and then to eat them later, even after crying about it, she still ate it. We all still ate it. And so it seems just kind of funny then. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of, you know, Charlotte's Web. <laughs> you know, it was what, what, one of my favorite books of all time. Just the, the, the disconnect between especially kids who I think are, are much more able to be in relationship with a wider variety of uh, of of partners, right? So kids can be in relationship with dolls, with with toy trains, with with animals, with trees, not just with you know other other people or adults in their lives. And and just to, to hear you know your sister like, okay, well, I'm I'm eating this thing. Just I don't know whether it was like you know enforced by guilt, like, you know, other people go without, or this is the way things are, but there, there, you know, there was that kind of early disconnect. And we, as I think we learn as children to distrust our impulses to be in relationship. Definitely. And, uh, I see that with my children now, I've got a three-year-old and a two-year-old and every animal from a squirrel to a cat you know, to, uh, to a dog, they want to come into the house and, and keep. And so, I mean, they've got no, obviously two and three years old, you have no idea about eating the animals. And so that has to sort of be forced out of you, you know, that, that love, or at least that connection between the love and uh, the life of the animal. Yeah. So, so what was it in you? That 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 started to be uncomfortable with with the you know the the let's say exploitation the use of animals for to to serve our our needs through their deaths. It's hard it's hard to pinpoint really, but it was always something. I always considered myself an animal lover, and I, and at some point it just sort of in the back of my mind I thought how can you love something and, and kill it and eat it? And that sort of voice in the back of my head just got louder and louder and louder. And it just became this thing I couldn't really ignore anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't feel like I was living, uh, sort of living in alignment with my own beliefs, basically. 
And uh, I've always sort of been a person that questioned conventional wisdom as in, you know, you have to eat meat or you have to do anything. I always think maybe you're right, but has anybody ever thought maybe you don't? And so I do that about a lot of things. And eating meat was just one of those things that finally I said, maybe it's time to, to really take a look at this. Clearly people live without eating meat and butter and cheese and everything else. And so isn't something that's impossible to do. How are these people living? Right. And did, it just sort of took off from there. Yeah. Did, did that attitude of like, mm-hmm. let me question things and especially things like, you know, the diet of, of your community, did that get you in trouble or, or alienate you in any way? Not, not really. It hasn't, I haven't really got any pushback from, uh, my dad would say things, or still says things like, that'd be pretty good if we'll meet it. Or uh, if being vegan was like this, I could do it all the time. Uh-huh. But I don't, re- I don't really got anybody sort of outright questioning me. And uh, that, well, I had a friend, actually, in the middle of me going vegan, who went vegan, and it sort of opened up a community to me because he had a bunch of friends and things like that that I didn't, I didn't know. And so that sort of kept me insulated a little bit. And then I moved from that area to, to the Little Rock area. And it's a little more open here and a little more accepting of just the culture's different here. And so that's, that's kept me insulated from, I always get that sort of attitude when I go home and visit my parents. But it's still not a big in your face sort of thing. It's just sort of like a snickering attitude. Uh huh. And did like were you vocal about any of this about even your questioning? You know, like when you were in school, when you were you know a dependent under your parents' roof? Because it sounds like your family, especially your dad, was pretty invested in in his role. I could I could imagine like if I had a job and my kid at some point was like, "You're doing a you know this is bad." Like it, it might bother me. It, not really, only because my dad sort of transitioned out of that type of position into an he's an administrator now in school, uh-huh. and so he isn't involved in the agriculture part anymore. And so by the time he was aware of me changing diets, uh, it wasn't really an issue. And I don't necessarily present the animal side of it at home, or I sort of present more of the health side to it. And so that, that disarms a lot of people anyway. Uh-huh. It comes across more as caring about them and yourself than than animal. And that is a huge component for me anyway, so it's not hard to sort of present that side. Right. It's interesting because, you know, so many people, you know, when they start to make this transition, they make such a big deal out of social influences, about what's my family going to think about people are bracing themselves, especially, you know, we're talking like the week before Thanksgiving about go going home. And it's, it, it sounds like that's not necessarily a, a, a big dynamic. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And, um, my family had some, minor health issues, like you mentioned with, with the stomach, you know, issue earlier we talked about, uh, and my dad has some high cholesterol and some high blood pressure. And so the, the health thing is easy to present if you have those already sort of in your family. We got 
some cancer histories and things like that. Just intuitively, people sort of know more vegetables is good. And so he's eating more vegetables. And so it's not a huge, you know, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Uh-huh. But, but uh, obviously the traditions of something like Thanksgiving and the turkey and all that can, could get in the way of some families. But a lot of times me and my wife just bring our, we bring a couple of dishes of our own and people end up loving those anyway. Yes. So. <laughs> I've, had, I've had an experience where I brought something so that I can eat it and it's gone. It's the first thing gone. Yes. <laughs> so t- tell me about uh, you said you had some, some stomach issues yeah and they were they were there what seems like my whole life um, they would they would come they would keep me from going to school sometimes I would have to almost orient my life around it and it would, uh, I would go to the doctor. They couldn't, I went two or three times. They just couldn't figure it out. And I just thought it was something I'd have to live with. What, what were the symptoms? And what, 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 was, what was the experience like? It was cramping, uh, diarrhea. I'd be in the restroom for half an hour. It, you know, I'd, 10 minutes before school, I'd have to go to the restroom. I'd be 30 minutes late for school. Stuff, I'd be, have to leave class in the middle, stuff uh-huh. like that. And, uh, it was, honestly, it was something I had to sort of, to live around. I had to know where the restrooms were during college, on the way back home. It was an hour and a half drive, and I had to know where each restroom was, how far away it was, if I could pass this one up, you know, uh, I couldn't, certain things I just knew I couldn't eat if I had to go somewhere and I couldn't use the restroom for an hour. That sort of stuff was stuff I had to live with and live around and build schedules around almost. Huh, so it sounds like a, a full-time job above and beyond everything else you're trying to do in your life. Yes. And there, there were plenty of instances where I didn't do things because I was afraid that I'd have to use the restroom. It would be socially, it would be very awkward. You know? So that was, it, was, it was something I had to constantly think about. Wow. So as you describe the symptoms, you know, several potential diagnoses immediately pop into my mind, you know, irritable bowel, uh, mm-hmm. Crohn's colitis, all, all sorts of things. Did, were, right. you said the, did the doctors come up with a diagnosis for you? No, and they couldn't even, um, they didn't even begin to. I mean, it wasn't really something that even got off the ground. I always assumed it was the diabetes and uh, my mother thought it was lactose intolerance. Uh, I almost think now it's overeating, honestly. Huh. But so you, uh, you were a there's never, there's never, you were a big uh, eater. Yes, I always, I always felt like you know I, I don't know if subconsciously or uh, or what it was, but I always ate till I was just stuffed. You know, the, the feeling people talk about after Thanksgiving dinner was sort of how I felt after almost every meal. Huh. I had that sleepy, you know, couldn't move, stomach hurts just from overeating, basically. And so I think that was, I honestly think that's what it was now looking back. Uh-huh. So what, what, uh, what do you think drove that? I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, <clears throat> you didn't, 
know that that was going to happen, right? Like you'd be eating, you're like, okay, I'm full. Let me let me eat until I hate myself, as as Louis C.K. Right. says. Well, at the time, I didn't make the connection that that's probably what it was. So that's part of it. And I liked food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't a fat guy or anything, but I liked food. I, mean, I was athletic enough that I didn't gain a lot of weight, and I was young also, and so I didn't put on a lot of weight. I didn't really put on, I was probably 30 pounds overweight at the most when I was, you know, out of college in my mid-20s probably. But I was never super overweight or anything, and so I couldn't visually tell it was hurting me, and I didn't assume that physically inside it was actually the problem. So Right, but you still ended up every meal sleepy with a stomach pain and you can't move. Like it's a... Yes. <laughs> like that That wasn't like a, enough of a clue, right? That, that, right. So... Exactly. So, yeah. All right, so um, take, us, take us to the moment where you decided to try something different. I... I don't know where exactly, but it was about five years ago that I actually made a vegetarian change. But probably for six months before that, it was something I was looking at and thinking about. I was watching a few of the Netflix documentaries. The the Joe Cross documentary, I think, was the first one I really watched. I watched the uh, Food Inc. was the other one. Those were the two. And Supersize Me. Those were the three. Those were the three I knew about. And so I watched those and thought I should really do something different. Vegan wasn't really a thought yet, but I thought I'll go vegetarian. And I just had sort of been asking my wife in a joking way, what do you think about being a vegetarian? And she was just sort of like, whatever you want to do. And so I said, oh, I'm going to do it. And it just never, from that point forward, it's just sort of rolled on. I've sort of dropped lots of different foods as people do and ended up at the whole food plant based. Mm-hmm. So what thing wh- over at five years now yeah. down the road. So why did you ask your wife in a joking way? Was there something that you were, you know, afraid of or. Yeah, I think so. I think there was, you know, there is sort of a outcast feeling about it. And. I figured it was something that I would probably have to do on my own a little bit with a, with some assistance from her, but she wasn't going to actually go vegetarian. And so I knew either I'd have to do some more cooking now or it would be on her to do a little more cooking. And so, you know, it was one of those things I just thought, I'm just joking unless you say yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, a protection, a buffer against rejection. Yes, exactly. What, what do you think her attitude was? You know, it's like whatever you want to do could be interpreted a whole bunch of different ways. Like, what, 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 what was she thinking when you said that? Do you know? I think she thought it would be an experiment. It, it would last two weeks, and I'd be on to something else. Uh-huh. So it, I'd get interested in, in some other thing that I've been talking about for two or three months. Uh-huh. So whatever that would be. So <laughs> I don't. I don't think you thought it would be permanent by any means. Uh huh. So what? What? What did it look like? Like the difference between the way you had been eating and quote going vegetarian. 
Like, did you just drop things and, you know, triple the portions of the other stuff? Or did you go, like, go out and, like, buy a new pantry? I started out, I, I didn't know really where to begin. And uh, so I bought a book. I think maybe it's not, I think I bought Alicia Silverstone, the kind diet book was the first one I bought. Uh-huh. Because uh, my idea of eating was you just have three three recipes a day, and so let's just get <laughs> new recipes. <laughs> but so that's that was my thought process. I was like, we'll just get new recipes in here, and so that's how that's how it began. And I think that specific book had three levels of from easy to hard, and so we just did a bunch of the easy recipes, and and it wasn't really an issue except there were a bunch of salads and I wasn't a huge salad. I wasn't a huge vegetable eater, believe it or not. And so I was having to get used to salads and I didn't love that. And so it took me a while to kind of catch on and figure out what I, what I liked and what I didn't like and how I could make it filling for me. Mm -hmm. And so at, at this early stage, you're like, you know, the I'm, I'm living now, I'm moving towards like my values but I'm not enjoying my food. Were you still like eating to, to stupor <laughs> or were, were you I, kind of being more conscious of the process of eating? I was definitely being more conscious just because your idea of vegetarians is, you know, they're, they're skinny and so they must not eat as much. It's just, it's not just that they eat, lettuce and carrots all day long. It just must not eat as much food as I eat also. And so I was, a, that was, I was eating less. Uh, yeah, I was, I wasn't, I was being a little hungry sometimes. I'd have to get snacks in between meals, things like that. Uh-huh. Just doing a lot of, of, of smoothies, that sort of thing. So what, uh, what motivated you those first couple of weeks was it was it simply the idea that I'm I'm now like not eating meat which is which feels right to me or were there were there other motivations um, and and rewards you were getting from the process? There were other the stomach thing was definitely sort of settling a little bit. Uh, at the the. The driving forces was the animal thing, just the not eating meat. So I was still eating the the dairy, the dairy. I was still eating the cheese and the butter and the oil, all those sorts of things. But I definitely felt my mind felt better not eating animal, and I hadn't quite made the connection that there was still animal abuse with the with the milks and all that. But I was definitely feeling better from that perspective. And like I said, the stomach thing was settling. Uh, it, was, it was getting a, a lot better, which I didn't think necessarily would be one of the benefits, but it turned out to be as big a benefit as anything else. Well, how long did it take you to, to, to realize? Because, I mean, that sounds like it would be profound if you, all of a sudden you had your, your life and your, your sanity back around, you know, restroom management. How, 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 what, what did you notice and when did you notice it? I used to, after every meal, I knew within an hour I was going to be in the bathroom. And 
it was going to be a long time. And so that went away. That went away very, very quickly. And there's a lot more fiber going at that point, too. So I'm sure that was part of the the regulation. But almost immediately that changed. Uh And I noticed noticed it just as soon as it changed, I noticed it. (laughs) And my wife noticed it. Yeah, it was. It was a profound change. And did you, did you trust it? You're like, wow, this is like it's. It's almost like I'm putting myself in your shoes. It's like too good to be true. Like I, I don't want to give myself that much hope in case I'm disappointed. In case it's like a little temporary glitch. No, I was actually very, very excited. And at that point, I felt my actual attitude was, I don't know if that was the problem, but until I get something different, this is what I'm going to do. Like, uh-huh. like I, don't, I don't need to know what the, what the problem was. I just need to know what the answer is. And this is the answer, and this is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And so, I mean, I, I, trust, I trust it immediately. Uh-huh. That's great. So, um you started out with, with three new recipes a day. Uh, a lot of them were salads, which it took, took some getting used to. That sounds like very labor intensive and potentially exhausting and unsustainable. Did you, um, did you evolve to, to more, to greater efficiencies or different understandings of how you could eat this way? It was, it was a progression and of course, I got into all the fake meats and the fake cheeses. And the fake meats were pretty good. My wife hated the fake cheeses. Uh-huh. They would go, they, they would go bad in the refrigerator because neither one of us could stand them hardly. <laughs> and it was a struggle for a few months. And then one day, I was on YouTube and I saw Dr. McDougall's video on the starch solution. He talked about potatoes and rice and beans. And I never, it, it never clicked to me that, oh, those are also vegetables. <laughs> so once I figured that out, it was really easy to just throw some baked potato, some black beans, and some salsa in the microwave, and now I got lunch. Uh-huh. And so that's really when the labor-intensive part of cooking sort of came down and it was much more manageable it was very little salads at that point which probably isn't great but much easier to sustain than trying to eat three salads or two salads a day sure as a meal and so that was that was a, a huge relief and i don't know if i could have made it without realizing that this side dish could be the whole meal if i had two potatoes or if i had a cup of rice instead of half a cup of rice. This could be my meal. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you found it more satisfying. Not, not, yes, just, not yes. just easier, but the... That, that sort of almost allowed the amount of food that I'd previously eaten without getting the sick feeling from eating it. I could... 
I could eat a potato till I was stuffed, but five minutes later I felt just like I had before I ate the meal. I felt great. I didn't. That sluggish feeling lasted five minutes, not three hours. Uh-huh. And so if I wanted to stuff myself, I'd be okay, you know, very, very quickly. Right. So at what point in this um, continuum, this journey, did you drop the vegetarian and decide you were going to go fully plant-based? That happened about three years ago. So two years of being a vegetarian, then at some point I just said, all I have to do, what I realized was I had dropped enough things that eggs and milk were the only two things that were still left. And so I just said, you know what, I'm not eating those anymore. And I think it was some sort of New Year's resolution type thing. And I just, and from then on, that was it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't hard, by the way. It was that part was very easy because it was so little, and I hadn't necessarily planned it. on that. I just slowly but surely saw each health benefit of of cutting butter out and cutting cheese out, and then eventually just. The milk and eggs were in foods that I ate. They weren't the foods that I ate. Uh-huh. And so, so I make a, uh, you know, if I just had my wife make a cake without eggs, there goes the eggs. You know, that, that's, that's where the food, that's where it was at that point. I wasn't drinking milk right. or having scrambled eggs. So what, what made you think that you wanted to get rid of eggs or milk? Because I know lots of vegetarians, and most of them have been, you know, like vegetarians since the 70s or 80s, and that's their whole identity. And, you know, they have every Moosewood cookbook ever written. And, mm-hmm. you know, two-thirds of the refrigerator is, is dairy and eggs. And right. it's, it's, re- like it's harder to reach those people than it is to reach, you know, carnivores. Like, so what, what, uh, what was your impetus? What, what information or, or realizations or insights did, did you come to so that get, getting rid of dairy and eggs was a, was a lagging indi- indicator of that? Well, in advertising, you, know, you can't hide that a piece of meat used to be a cow. But you can sort of fool people into thinking that this cow that gave you the milk enjoyed doing that. <laughs> but these, you know, like these chickens that are laying these eggs, you're not really hurting anybody. They're just wandering around in somebody's backyard dropping eggs. But in, uh, in Arkansas, it's one of the largest producers of chickens and eggs and that sort of thing. And you'll just see these huge trucks, these cages of chickens in the, the smallest cages you can imagine, just driving down the highway. And you know that those are, those are either going to be killed at the chicken plant or those are going to go lay some eggs. And so that was right in front of me. And so I knew those weren't happy chickens. And so that, that motivated me a lot on the egg thing. And obviously, if you come to that realization about chickens, it doesn't take long to figure that out about cows either. These dairy cows can't be happy cows. And eventually, they go to slaughter also. And so... That sort of, and then there's the health thing, obviously, with the cholesterol, the fat, the, the pesticides in the milk. I mean, it just, 
you can take any of them you want for this reason. And so right. I just sort of picked them all. So what what happened when you when you dropped the last animal products? Did you notice additional improvements in health and vitality? I can't to tell the truth, I couldn't tell then. But I've realized in the past few months how much better I feel now compared to then. Like at the time there wasn't some huge shift. But now I can just tell in my alertness and I've recently started getting up and taking up jogging in the morning and it's really been no problem at all. And that sort of stuff. I couldn't have done that three and four years ago. It would have been a huge ordeal for me to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go for a jog. Uh-huh. Now, now I can jog three, four days this week take three days off, then jog another three days, and there's not really this huge loss. You know, I, don't, I haven't lost my ability to run in those three or four days. And so I don't think that would have been, I wouldn't capable with that just a few, you know, three years ago. Uh-huh. So recovery time, the, the distance in between workouts, isn't some huge thing that I have to gain back that I've lost in that time frame. And I feel like that's because of the diet. Right. So, um, how have the, has your eating sort of spread or has it to like, you know, to your wife or your parents, other, you know, sister is, uh, are people following and noticing or are you still all alone? For a long time, I was all alone. Like my wife was sort of a step behind me almost. By the time I'm switching to vegan, she's cutting out the meats and being full-on vegetarian. And so she was always sort of a step behind me, but she was getting there every step of the way, basically. And she was sort of the only one. But now my sister-in-law has seen the change. My wife, used, my wife had diabetes. She had a type 2 diabetes just maybe a couple months ago. She went to the doctor the doctor actually told her, you no longer have diabetes. And so, because she switched, she switched to vegan recently, maybe mm-hmm. in the past six months. My sister-in-law saw that, and she's now a vegan. Her, uh, she's lost quite a bit of maybe 50 pounds. Uh, her diabetes is getting better. She actually had to switch doctors because her doctor wasn't, she just wasn't trusting what she was seeing as far as the diabetes coming down. And so I told, you know, she lost 50 pounds. The doctor wanted to put her on more diabetes medication. Oh. And I told her, I said, you have to get a new doctor. And she did. This new doctor's much more conservative. He's lowering her medication. She still has diabetes, but I feel confident that it's going to go away. It's definitely getting better. Uh, a few, a few weeks ago, I had a, uh, me and my wife were out hiking and we had a friend text us and ask us what he can do to cut out the few remaining animal products. I think he was really asking for sort of substitutes, easy substitutes for a few spots where he uses eggs and butter and things like that. And so that 
that was a that was sort of a nice surprise. You know, I didn't he he didn't tell us that he had we'd influenced him, but we had influenced him. I, we were back in my hometown a few uh, a few weeks ago, and a friend of my wife asked her what she could do, just out of the blue. And so these influences are coming up to me. I'm not necessarily seeking them out. I'm not really just seeking out that person. So these people are coming to me, and it's, it's a very welcome, very welcome thing. That's nice. Nice. Now you you have children, right? Yes, because a three year old a three year old son and a two year old daughter. All right. So I imagine you, they're, you're, they're both, yeah. Go ahead. So they're both vegan. Uh, my son was sort of vegetarian early on, but he's been vegan for most of his life, and my my daughter's been vegan her whole life, and there's been. No problems, no issues. My wife was worried about the soy milk thing at first because there's a lot of talk about soy milk and estrogen sort of stuff, but that's sort of been debunked for the most part recently. You know, it was really debunked a long time ago, I think, but that talk has sort of died down a little bit. And so she's more comfortable with the soy milks and the, she really likes the cashew milk, stuff like that. And so, but also we have a garden. Our kids are involved in gardening, and they can make the connection between picking the food and then eating the food, and sometimes they eat it right there at the garden, whether they want to or not. And my wife grew a huge batch of sweet potatoes, and my son loves sweet potatoes. And my parents still haven't come to grips with the fact that our kids aren't going to eat meat. I've, I've heard my mom say that our kids don't eat meat yet. Huh. So they are they're quite ready to accept that they're not going to eat meat. But you know, there's and there's plenty of foods you can give you know, there's the, the fake uh the fake cheese from macaroni, stuff like that. You know, if you should, you can still give those kids give kids things like that, like pizzas every once in a while. I mean they have some of that stuff. But they have lots of peanut butter, lots of uh, potatoes, rice. Mm. The, Do you think it's hard? Not for, really. Yeah. Do you think it's hard for your parents, maybe especially for your mother, to feel like, like you know, when you're the grandparent, you just kind of want to spoil the child, the grandchild. Yeah. You want to like, give them all these treats and things from your childhood. Do you feel like, like maybe that's part of the issue, <laughs> like putting a little pressure on, like when are they going to eat the good, the good stuff, the grandma food? Yes, I think that's actually. Me and my wife talked about that. I don't, I think people will struggle with this idea that kids just don't want those things until you give those things to them. They don't come out of the room craving chocolate. You know, they, they don't want a sucker. Now, once you give it to them, they'll want it, but they don't just naturally come out wanting all these sweet things. And so you're not giving them something that they want until you give it to them the first time. And then they want it. And so there's just, these kids aren't craving these things. And so I think that's the issue, a lot of the issue, is they want to feel like they're giving them something they really want, but they just don't want it. 
Right. Right. So you, you want, you want them to have it more than they want it. Exactly. <laughs> right. I think I said that exact phrase. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, grandma wants to be the one associated with that chocolate cake. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely. So you are a graphic designer and you have a, you have a full-time job at a, at a hospital system in, in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And yes. one, one way that you're giving back in addition to just sort of being like a, a, a chill, healthy guy who goes running and whose wife is cured her type two diabetes and people come up to you advice. But one, one way that you're giving back sort of more um, overtly and intentionally is to help people like me with our graphics. So what, what, uh, what got you into, into that form of service? Well, it all pretty much started with, with your, uh, with your podcast graphic. <laughs> you, you looked at it and you're like, this sucks. Well, it's fun. What actually happened was, I don't know how familiar you are with Google music, but all of the podcast graphics are all sort of laid out in a grid. Uh-huh. And so I think, I think yours is right next to rituals in my viewer and ritual at some point recently updated his from him running to him sitting in the back of a pickup with a bunch of vegetables. Uh-huh. And my thought, and my thought was that completely shifted the preconceived notion about what his podcast was about. Just something that simple as changing that picture. Uh-huh. And so I thought, well, what can we do for Howard that it, in essence shows what his podcast is about, but make it very simple. And so that's sort of where the, the idea began. Gotcha. So you, so you reached out to me and I of course was, was all over it. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't have any, ability or even awareness of, of, uh, of, gra- of graphics. And you made this, uh, this graphic for me that I'm so grateful for. And people have been commenting on even without me, you know, asking like, Hey, you know, it looks so much better. Um, so that you've, you've also helped Josh Lajani and you've done stuff for, for health fest. Uh, like what, what do you think is the value of, of improving our collective graphics? And, uh, like what, 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 what does that do? Well, at the, at the most basic level, I mean, I work in a marketing department and so improving the marketing of the whole food plant-based vegan compassionate, whatever you want to label it, improving the marketing of that, <laughs> you know, like the packaging around that. They, we don't have the, the millions of dollars to pour into advertising that the meat and dairy and eggs and whatever else, ex, exercise equipment, whatever it is, we don't have the, the money to pour into those advertising venues and we can have you know professional marketing, professional looking graphics to present to people that can at least put us on the level with those huge companies at the, there in the graphics sort of area. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's pretty, pretty important. Yeah. The packaging, the packaging. Yeah. I mean, when you, uh, I don't know when you, 
I don't feel like I have much to like. I I, I get it, but I feel like um, you know I've always thought of myself as sort of graphically impaired in a certain way. <laughs> um, so I you know I kind of rely on other people, like you know when when I uh, I walk into a room with my wife and she says, "What do you think of the wall color?" I said, "I don't know. Tell me what I think of it." You know. <laughs> um, but there's de- you know there's definitely that. Uh, that sense that at least we, we need to put effort into it. Well, and, you know, there's the, the people at the forefront of this are uh, doctors and even just to speak, people writing books and going on tours and promoting those books. And how, I mean, they don't have a lot of time to think about graphics if someone doesn't do it for them. And so, unless they have a big team around them, they have to do it on their own. They have to rely on somebody that they know who may or may not be actually professionally trained and know all the new technologies, the new trends and that sort of thing. And so I'm hoping I can sort of be that for people. Right. So what, what, what was your involvement with health fest? Actually the, uh, the friend I spoke about earlier who became vegan around the same time I did, he, he had been to Hellfest a couple times. He, he knew the, the people who put on Hellfest. And it, it, all, it takes place only about two hours from my hometown. And so he said, you should really volunteer. He said, they're looking for volunteers. Maybe you should, and he didn't mean from a graphic design point of view. He just meant at the event, maybe you can, can help. Uh-huh. And, and I thought, that's a really good idea because I just, I just sent you that graphic maybe a week earlier. And so I was sort of feeling inspired. I said, that's, I said, that's a great idea. Uh, can you contact them for me? And so he contacted them for me and they, they jumped on it and I got involved and the rest is sort of history. I've been working with them for a few months now and I've done all the dinner flyers and their, their posters. They, a few of them, ad magazines and veg news magazines and stuff, things like that. And I'm working on a 5k flyer for them right now. And it's just, it's been a blast really. That's great. Cause you know, you've got this, um, this passion for, for the, the lifestyle, for spreading the word, for helping other people be healthy and mm-hmm. feel better. And, and so many of us in this movement have that, but we, you know, we don't know what else to do with ourselves. So either, either we get into mischief, like, you know, screaming at people and, and, you know, turning people off and being that guy who's always talking about, you know, animal cruelty or whatever, and and just, you know, and being counterproductive, or we just go about our lives and we do our thing and we don't think about what, what, what unique skill sets and connections do we have that can make a difference. And, you know, I start. I, I wasn't a professional in this field when I started, you know, kind of like writing and and doing the podcast. I, you know, I, I had a like a twenty dollar headset, the, and, and that that enabled me to, to to get started. And you have the skill set in in graphic design and uh, you know a good a good eye for for marketing and for for spreading the word. And I think it's. It's inspiring. I think a lot of us have more to offer in a positive, non-judgmental way than we think. 
and that's exactly where I was. Like I saw all these people, obviously I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm listening to ritual and I'm, I know about Josh. I'm thinking all of these people are inspiring and have something to offer, but I don't have anything to offer. That's, that's what I thought. And I didn't, when I made that graphic for you, I didn't think this is what I have to offer. I just sort of felt compelled to make the graphic for you. <laughs> yeah. And once, like once I sent it in, I realized, oh, this is what I have to offer. And so I think everybody, if they're passionate about it, has something to offer. And, in, and it might be what they're doing. They just don't know how to make to do that. Or they hadn't at least thought about how to do that in this realm. And so I, I think everybody has something to offer. Yep. And sometimes it's going to be what they're already doing. They just have to sort of realize there's an avenue for that. Yeah, and just, you know, if, if you think you have nothing to offer, then I would challenge you to challenge that. And, and if you're already doing something, like, you know, relabel and reframe it and, and kind of own that, you know, this is, this is, a, this is activism in the world. Because it feels like any, anyone who's not showing up as strongly as they would like to, it's like there's a, you know, you get that, like, 10,000-piece box of jigsaw puzzle pieces and there's like pieces missing like you can't they're all they're all small but uh yeah. you do not have that sense of satisfaction if there's a piece missing is, is when you put that yeah. last piece in and you've got the the whole picture and you just don't realize you see some of these people that look that inspire us out in front and you don't realize like any other business there's a bunch of people behind the scenes making that happen and they're presenting the package for you enough the time, whatever it is, they're allowing that person who's inspiring you to be that person and not worry about some other things. Right. So you can be one of those, you can be one of those people who takes care of those other things. Right. My, my, my grandfather was a, uh, a musician and a conductor. He used to, he used to say, you know what the conductor can do with his baton if the musicians don't show up. <laughs> so uh, exactly. So we all we all have exactly. our we all have our piece to play. Uh, it's some people. There's a certain personality type of people that are out there, and there's a lot of people, at least uh, I think, that don't have that personality type, and so they don't know what else they can do. And right. they just, they don't realize all the opportunity that's there. Right on. Yep. And, and I'm so grateful to you for, 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 first of all, taking this journey and then realizing even, you know, even, even if it was not like a, like a, you know, predetermined sort of thing, like just the, the impulse to say, Hey, I can be, I can be helpful here. I have something to contribute. Um, it's, it's helped me and and my mission immensely and now you're reaching out and helping other people and and now you're you know you're in front of the scenes a little bit through through this conversation and i'm sure you're going to inspire lots of other people and and so it goes and so it goes that's what i hope to do uh, and i'd love to i'd love to be doing this all the time and that's 
I'm hoping that this, that's what it eventually leads to is a full-time job doing this because at that point, the hours don't even matter that much as far as, you know, you think a 40-hour-a-week job and you think, you know, from 8 to 5, I'm doing this, and then I go home. And it could all be one sort of lifestyle, basically. So your, your lifestyle, your home life, your work life, it could all just be your life. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm hoping to make happen. All right. Well, so for other people who are listening to this who have graphic design needs, how can they get in touch with you? I'll, I'll put all the links in the show notes, but just for folks who are, who are listening, do you have an easy way for people to find you? I do, yes. I have a portfolio available at Clay. Let's see. So I had it ready, and then I walked off. Huh. Uh, well, uh I think it's clay dot or clay gear eighty one dot. Uh, I don't remember how. I'm sorry. You know, what? I think you sent I, you sent it to me. So let me let me quickly pull it up. Uh, yes, I had I had some stuff organized, and then beginning right, of the podcast, a little world haywire. So that's right. You're 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 a graphic designer. You're supposed to be a little uh, flighty, right? <laughs> right. Yes, it's the artist in me that's. That's forgotten the details. Yeah, it looks like Clay Garrett 81, and Garrett is two R's, two T's. Clay Garrett 81 dot myportfolio.com. Yes. And if you can't remember that, just go to plantyourself.com, type in Clay. You're probably my only Clay. And <laughs> and the, it'll be it'll be there in the show notes. And you're you're doing great work for for people. Who want to get the you know the the plant based compassionate healthy holistic uh, you know community supporting message out there? So if if you're one of those folks and you've been you've been doing it yourself like I have and you're looking for a partner, um, you know Clay, Clay's your man. So uh, give him yeah give him a ring. Yes, yeah. uh, please. I would uh, I would love to do as much of this as possible. So. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to do something you're passionate about, and hopefully inspire other people, at least indirectly, by doing something like this. Right on. Well, Clay Garrett, thanks so much for all you do, for all you've done for me, for all you've done for your family and your community, and for the world, and for taking the time on the podcast today. Uh, thank you, Howard. All right. Be, be well. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And for more information about the Big Change program led by Josh Lajani and myself, visit bigchangeprogram.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episodes with links to the stuff we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 190. If you're new to the show, catch up on 189 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast, but not the weekly email newsletter, why not sign up for that while you're there as well? Thanks to podcast patrons, Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Elizabeth Clifton, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Volkanovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X. Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, 
Joe Zena, Michelle Landry, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis rhymes with circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Peterson, Leanne Peterson, and maybe that'd be Wayne Peterson, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, and new this week, thank you to Claire Adams for your generous support of the podcast. Thanks also to Will Ridenour for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenour.com. Hey, let's do a fun drive this week for the Plant Yourself podcast. If you'd like to support the show, if you, whatever you donate, no one is going to match it. So <laughs> you're on your own. If you can uh, pledge a one-time amount or an ongoing gift to the podcast, you can do that over at plantyourself.com. If you feel like being generous, but you don't have cash on hand, but you have about five minutes, you could leave a review on iTunes, and that is golden as well. In garden news, we have been pruning our blueberry bushes with the help of a new friend, Alfonso, who has taught us that we have way too many old growth bushes, and there's lots of little babies coming up, and they're all cramped, and they need more room. So we've been transplanting blueberries and mulching and cutting off deadwood, and I can't wait for July. In running news, I did a very relaxed 20 miles on Christmas morning and saw all the other crazy people running on Christmas, including several people wearing the uh, Santa hats and uh, someone had decked out little fir trees with uh, baubles and tinkles and tinsels. So that was a very festive run. And looking forward still to the marathon in March. At this point, I can't imagine how I'm going to come in under 3.30, but uh, got to have faith. Got a whole bunch of cool interviews in the can and ready to start 2017 with. And I'm feeling a kind of uh, openness and excitement to possibility, like expanding the mission of the podcast, expanding my own set of curiosities and interests, and expanding the variety of guests that I get on the show. So I'm sure some of you will love it, some of you will not. But uh, what can I say? Life goes on. So wishing everybody a beautiful and happy and loving last few days of 2016. And let's go into 2017 eyes wide open, not kidding ourselves about the challenges in front of us, but also recognizing that we have the power of love and nature always wins in the end. So, uh, aho, let's have a great 2017. And as always, be well, my friend.